Welcome to Where the Lotus Grows, Getting Dirty and Growing Strong with Kimberly Searle and Tanya Drew. As integrative sustainable movement educators and health advocates, our goal is to provide you with evidence-based information gathered from research, experts in the field, and our personal and professional experience to help you advocate for your own health and wellness. Our mission is to collaboratively navigate the thick, muddy waters of life to empower, accept, and cultivate our most authentic selves. Hi, welcome. Thanks for joining us again. Today, we're going to talk about samskaras and what does that really mean. And samskaras are the subtle impressions of our past actions. The prefix sam means well-planned, well-thought-out, and kara means the action undertaken. So thus, samskara means the impressions of the impact of the action we perform with full awareness of its goals. And so I really, you know, come to like, you know, what is samskara? And I think of it as the cycle of death and rebirth to which life in the material world is bound. Kind of that wandering cyclical change. Some other questions that come to mind when I'm thinking about this is, how can we better live with age-related our fertility um, in serious illness and approaching of death? Why do we resist our life cycle? There's just this long list of possibilities. So why don't we enjoy it? And um, how am I dealing with my own parents' life cycle? So Samskaras is really rooted in the Vedic literature and development and developed in the Upanishads. And um, I, I like how um, Monier Williams describes it as to go around, revolve, pass through a succession of states, to go towards or obtain moving um, in a circle. And so one of the things um, that kind of woke me up a little bit was when I was interning um, for our uh, Masters of Science in Yoga Therapy. When I went to the hospital, my perception was was that, you know, everyone that I would see in a bed would be much older than me. And I was surprised that, oh, they were younger than me and or my age. And so that was a bit of a a reality check for me. Some eye-opening to yeah. your own samskaras. Right on. So you mentioned a couple of things that I, I want to circle back and talk about a little bit more. Um, so thinking about the life cycle and the questions, um, you know, why, why do we resist and how interesting it is and why not enjoy it? I think it's on our culture. And, and I know... I have it in the notes to talk about a little later, but it, it is in the culture that we um, we value youth. We're very youth-oriented, and I think even as we get older, speaking to specifically you and I and our generation, like um, speaking to what you just said about being in the clinic, it's because we don't expect, like even as we age, we don't age. So our bodies are aging, but we don't think of ourselves as older. So then it is surprising because mm-hmm. um, I think that if we were in this program at 18, we wouldn't have saw anybody <laughs> <laughs> that was our age it, there. Um, the other thing that you mentioned is your parents' life cycle. And so thinking about that, um, 
yes, we're youth oriented. And I think that we're, we're in that stage of life <laughs> where we still like to consider ourselves youth <laughs> because our parents are still alive because, um, we're, we're seeing them age yes, and not yeah. necessarily looking in the mirror to see ourselves age. But what, what is it about your, your parents cycle that made you think of Samskara as well? Well, you know, I'm getting to that point where my parents are starting to have some ailments and, you know, it's really made me, me look at that. Like, I know that my parents will pass on. I understand that. I don't mind talking about death, but um, at the same point in time, I'm not ready for that to happen. And um, I also think like, wow, I'm, I'm kind of young to already be dealing with, you know, some caregiving opportunities with them. And, and I thought that would come much later in life. And so I'm, you know, struggling with that attachment of loss, right? That, that I'm not ready for that. The attachment of loss and the attachment of gain, because yes. you're gaining the caretaking <laughs> responsibilities. You're losing the independence, and then, yes, the the potential of of eventually losing them, which is the cycle. And we like to think that it's going to be a long time from now. Um, when you brought up this topic as something to talk about, it really made me think of my own my own situation at home, which is I'm in a sandwich situation. So I have, I caretake for, um, an ailing parent and I have children, small children. So (laughs) the idea of being kind of sandwiched in between the cycle. So having youth there and having, um, that other side of frailty of life there and present is like a little bit of a reminder. And I think that that's something that um, culturally we've stepped away from in our society. I don't, I don't think that that's something that we see so much now Um, that the multi-generational household, Mm -hmm. like it's something that I I think we've kind of distanced ourselves from. So, you know, you turn 18 and you leave the nest and it's expected that you go out and make your own and your parents live their own life. And because, you know, whatever age they were when they had you, they have their time uh, on their own until you have grandkids. And there, there's this separateness in our in Western culture, I think very much a separateness. Um, and I think when it comes to death itself, we kind of separate from that more than we did in the past. So, um. Nursing homes, care facilities, we distance from the elderly, we distance from like a a multi-generational household under one roof, doesn't, it's not as common. I'm not going to say it doesn't exist, I think, in our economic climate a lot within the last 10 years, then it's come to that a little bit more. Um, But it's still our kind of societal role of distancing ourselves from the elderly they go to homes or care facilities, and then when they pass, you know, we don't do a funeral or a service in the home. We don't, um, we, we kind of send people off <laughs> to do that. Whatever it is that after life care, um, our loved one decides, typically it's kind of handled elsewhere and it's not handled in the home. And so, and I think, um, 
you know, in general, we're not exposed to it as much and our children aren't exposed to it as much. So the lifestyles, the, the cyclicalness of the samskara, I think because we're not exposed to it, seems a little more traumatic. Like you grew up on a farm. Mm-hmm. So you saw life and death happen a lot more before your eyes, both life coming into the world and life leaving a little more than I think the next generation does. Yeah. I mean, I right from a small child, I understood um, that entire process. And, um, you know, grandparents were very close and there was a period of time where um, my grandparents and parents were under the same roof. Mm-hmm. And I remember that as a young child. Um, I, there's a TED Talk, and I'll have to put it in our notes. But um, a TED Talk talked about that. Like, we kind of undervalue the caregiving that happens, especially when we caregive in a multi-generational home to keep it there and how many millions of dollars that saves in our healthcare system. Um and typically, uh, it becomes the role of the female, statistically, um, to do that. And and what is that individual sacrificing in their life mm-hmm. to care give and offset those costs for our healthcare system? And then when they are done with caregiving, it's very difficult for them to re-enter the workforce because we don't see a value. We're not putting the value on there of what you know, it just took for them to care give, whether for it be the younger generation or the older generation. Um, and that TED Talk gave um, specific statistics on um, costs amounts of what, how that impacts um, our entire system. And I found it really, you know, eye-opening when I listened to that. So I'll try to find that and put that in our, in our notes. No, I think that would be good. Um, I additionally, um, I read some literature specifically on Western culture versus in many other parts of the world, the multi-generational family still exists. And uh, I think, I think we still see it a lot with uh, immigrant families as well. And people who come over um, maybe for educational purposes, and then they start a family and then they move their parents here to take care of the children. That's kind of that multi-generational demographic that I don't think happens quite so much in our society where it's like, oh, the grandparents come and they're retired. So then they take care of the children while the parents work. And I think that that's something that in other cultures um, is a really popular way to handle things. Yeah. And I don't, this might be slightly off topic, but, um, you know, the family unit, when, when they were close, could share daycare costs, right? Amongst family members, they got to share, you know, prepping food and canning the food. Um, you know, if, if someone had needed to borrow a car because a car was down, right? So the family unit could support that. Um, my generation, I've noticed, at least amongst me and my friends, we were encouraged to go to college, move away, you know, kind of start the dream. And and I think that created a lot of um, debt for my generation. And then we didn't have the close family unit there to help support us in those times, which then increased costs a little bit more. And now I'm starting to see where there's this return to multi- multiple generation underneath Um, the household again and that that support kind of coming back yeah i think economy wise it's just kind of naturally filtering back that way back to that 
So additionally, we, we talk a little bit about the life and death cycle, but what about just finding stillness and surrender, which is also part of samskara? Why is shavasana so hard? Yeah, death pose, right? Corpse pose. Um, I think it's because it's letting go of our, our ego, our, our prejudices, our attention, our worries, our fear, kind of that habitual bullshit that goes on in our, our minds. And it leads us to this uh, true state of freedom. And can you see a samskara in your own life? Um, is it when we're unaware of replaying old patterns that this is where self-examination comes in? So examples um, in life might be abusive relationships, addiction, deception. So what you're saying is like when you slow down and take a moment, <laughs> then you have self-reflection. When self-reflection comes in, that's where you're like, uh-oh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> how much of a part of this is my responsibility and how do I... Um, <laughs> what do I want to do with that? So I think you're right. I think um, we do spend a lot of time staying busy specifically mm-hmm. so we don't have to deal with those things. Uh, additionally, our culture really prides busyness. Yeah. So, um, you know, you can, the people brag about how busy they are. <laughs> yeah. It, it's almost like a success status level of, you know, I, I, this is how much I accomplished or this is how little sleep I'm getting. Um, and I'm even finding um, where I used to play music during my yoga sessions mm-hmm. with clients. Um, and now I don't because I even feel like that busyness of auditory coming in through all of our devices um, is is a way to, to not sit to in that out. stillness, to tune out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. I could see that. I find um, kind of on that same topic, I find when I need to concentrate – I like music, but I can't listen to anything with lyrics. I have to listen to like a classical or an ambient sound or something like that mm-hmm. um, so that I'm not distracted. Um, so that's like a personal thing for me that when I need that, I like the music itself to be stimulating, but I don't want it to be distracting. Yeah. Like, like I, I get that in a way because sometimes I'll turn on background music if I'm writing or, or doing things. Um, but I have found that when I'm doing my Shavasana practice, just to let go of any um, noise, except for, you know, maybe the outside noise that might be happening around me, um, so that I can kind of tune into that quietest voice inside me and, and see what's going on with all the mind chatter. Do you think that um, that idea of getting quiet and being with the self is what um, might turn people away from just meditation in general? I mean, I think people have this, this concept that my mind has to be completely blank. Right. And that's not really true. It's, it's, you know, looking at all those thoughts that are coming and going and, you know, what are they? Do we want to interact with them? Are they really, you know, representing us of who we are? I mean, you know, thoughts are the brain's movement. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that thought is, you know, what our intention is, right? It's just the mind's way to keep itself, itself busy, which, you know, you think about that inner experience is more uh, important than that outer experience. It makes me think of this quote from uh, Barbara Bush, at the end of your life, you will never retreat, re- regret not having passed one more test, not winning one more verdict or not closing one more deal. 
you will regret time not spent with a husband, a friend, a child, or a parent. And um, B.K.S. Iyengar even has, has the, the saying of freedom and enlightenment come to those who live life to the fullest. And I think that that really happens when we can sit in that stillness of self. And value the experiences as they happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I, I think that we do have a tendency to resist getting quiet. But you're absolutely right. That's the opportunity not to, like, turn everything off, but to become the observer, to yeah. become the, uh, not in judgment, but just in general, to observe your thoughts, your feelings, and then further develop Which, discernment and, and inquiry. It's, I mean, and it's difficult. Sometimes I can sit through it through 20 minutes, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, other times, you know, I want, I'm like popping up every three minutes thinking that my 20 minutes has passed. Um, you know, other times I just kind of check out and go to sleep. And so it's, it's interesting, um, you know, my resistance and or um, ability to settle in, to drop down in. And that's even an interesting exploration uncomfortable at times, sometimes completely comfortable. Sure. And not that this is in the notes or in something that we were going to talk about, but in thinking about that, um, I think that, you know, I, I tell my students and clients all the time the importance of Shavasana at the beginning and the end of practice and the importance of kind of letting go, surrendering to the moment, seeing if you can let go of all the other things. Um, it's a centering tool. I like to do it uh, with private clients in particular, but in, in classes as well. I like to do it at the beginning and end of a practice, that that little death, that little shavasana, because I feel like it centers you. But from my personal experience and from anecdotally from other people, I also think that, yes, it's centering in the beginning, But after you've done the work of the practice, whatever it is that your practice consisted of, you're much more able to drop in, as you said, in the end. And maybe that's where, you know, in the beginning, that running to-do list, you've got to keep shooing that away. But in the end, after you've practiced, after you've done some work, after you've you've created some tapas, (laughs) when you come down then it it is easier to drop in. Yeah, I mean, when I first started, um, I swear my mind was like a New York subway um, station. And sometimes I think it still is. But, you know, lately, my own personal work in this area has been um, exploring opposites and my culture of origin and how that affected you know, my parents' parenting style, um, you know, my beliefs that I came up with as a kid, and then, you know, my ability to kind of look at that broad picture and the hard work that it's taking to kind of overcome and grow from all of that as an adult. And, um, you know, now I'm able to tune into the subtleness of how my nervous system changes and how that affects my thoughts. Mm-hmm. 
um, which then affects my movement. Right. As you were saying that, I was kind of thinking uh, back to the beginning of the conversation when we were like, oh, our parents and that idea that maybe they're not doing as well. And that's kind of like a smack in the face of our own mortality. You know, we have to think about not only their mortality, but our own. Um, And then you discussing some of the challenges. I think it's hard for us too when we've developed a nice set of coping mechanisms that are healthy. And we're like, oh, we use these. And we know how much those we love would benefit from them. Yes. <laughs> and they don't use them or they don't, they're not, they might not even be open to them. Um, I think that that brings that circle around too, because you see um, some, some, some of our elders are a little more woke than others <laughs> to how to um, connect Um but many of that generation, and I know I'm being very broad, painting with super broad strokes, but many of that generation aren't as tuned in. And then there is the health problems and there is the mental health problems. Um, maybe there's severe anxiety, depression, not to mention all the pathophysiological uh, disorders that maybe they, they've, they have. And you want to just take them and shake them and be like, if you just took the time for a little self-reflection, some breathing, some physical exercise or all of these things, um, you would find improvement. And so that's when we talk about the samsara or samskara, the cycle of life, death and rebirth. Mm -hmm. Um, our quest for immortality, our quest for better. Um, I think that separation from our parents also creates a separation in lifestyle where I I don't think that they see, you know, when we bring something new to the table, um, I think they're separate from them. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that they, they see that quite as much. And that can be frustrating, too, because that brings. Well, sometimes as I've done my growth and I've wanted to go back to my parents and talk to them about my growth or maybe things that happened in my childhood and why they made certain decisions the way that they did. Um, you know, one parent is a little more open to be able to talk about it and be present with me. Mm-hmm. And um, one parent um, doesn't feel that way, finds it very difficult and uncomfortable um, to even do that. And, you know, as we do our growth, we can't always expect our loved ones to be on that same process, that that path to grow. Because for me to do my work means that, you know, my parent has to do their work. And, um, you know, it's an uncomfortable uh, process altogether. And it's difficult to remember that my timeline of growth isn't everybody else's timeline of growth. Right. No, I think that's important when we, as we interact <laughs> with all humans. That's, yes. That's important. But, you know, that, that ties back into, you know, the no regrets at the end of life or the regrets being um, about experience. Yeah. It's that mo- uh, momentum towards self-transformation. 
that just continues to increase. Right. So for our listeners today, um, we would love to hear a little bit of feedback as far as what Samskara and what we've talked about today means to you. So, of course, check us out on all of our platforms. Come to um, our Facebook page and give us a little bit of feedback about today's topic. Tune in next week. We're going to talk about being in the here and now. And that kind of ties in a little bit to what we have today. Additionally, um, one of the things that we didn't mention at the beginning, uh, at the top of the podcast is as we move through the koshas, this was, where were we at? We were a little bit more into Manamaya and emotional koshas Mm -hmm. with this, with today's episodes. So from next, we're coming into a little bit of joy and bliss. And that's where we'd like for you to meet us next week. Uh, Check out the website for resources and some of the things that we've talked about, including that TED Talk that Kim talked about. Check us out on social media. And again, we're hoping to have some exciting extra content opportunities for those of you listeners who might want to take a little more with you from where the lotus grows. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Where the Lotus Grows. Join us in further conversations. We believe that you bring valuable knowledge to this community. You can find us at wherethelotusgrows.com where the lotus grows on instagram and facebook or twitter where the lotus g1 because we were not on top of that one remember that though we are professionals in our field the topics discussed and or advice given is general information and not intended to treat or diagnose please seek the guidance of a medical integrative health bodywork, or yoga therapy professional for a full evaluation If you like what you hear, please take the time to rate us on iTunes or your preferred podcast platform.